Good morning. Today we are indeed looking at the story of Mary and Martha. And this may be a story that you've heard many times before. In fact, it's a story that we covered in our preschool and kindergarten class two weeks ago and in our elementary class last week and in church today. So this is a story that church people love to tell. And there are a number of different ways that you can read this story. I wanted to start by showing you some different artistic renderings of this story. I loved looking through all these different images because I think each image offers its own interpretation of the story. So take a look and see what you notice. And we're going to start with what we had actually in our preschool and kindergarten class a couple weeks ago. You'll see that there, I'm going to show you three pictures from here. There's a definite progression. We have Martha sweeping. And then next, Martha angry. <laughs> and then their next one, Martha appears to be okay with what's going on now. <laughs> so, and our next slide is um, the slide from last week. We used it in our children's message when I talked about how hard it is for me to sit still. And some of you in the room may have resonated with that. But our elementary kids are going through a timeline of the Bible in a year. And here's a look at their timeline image. It's a little hard to see, but Martha's in the doorway back there, and she's definitely glaring. So, And then we move on to the painting by the Dutch Baroque painter, Johannes Vermeer, or Jan Vermeer. You might know him as the artist who painted Girl with a Pearl Earring. But this is his painting called Christ in the House of Mary and Mar Martha and Mary. And the people in his picture, they look a little more Dutch than Palestinian. <laughs> then I have two more images here. Um, I don't know these artists. I tried a Google search, couldn't find an artist. They're used on different places. I found them on a website, The Contemplative Activist. And in this first image, we don't see Mary's face, but we can definitely see Martha's. She's leaning against that pillar or divider, dividing wall in the house. And then in the second image, Martha's face is a little more obscured, and Mary's face is clearer. And all of these images, and these last two especially, suggest what the women might have been feeling at the time this story was happening. So when we hear this story, often what we want to do is call one of the sisters right and one of the sisters wrong. Mary is right, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is wrong, because she's not sitting with Jesus. She's busy and inattentive and consumed by her own work. When we look at the story in its cultural context, though, um, Mar Martha isn't actually doing anything wrong. She's welcomed a guest into her house, Jesus, and presumably his disciples along with him, and she's caring for these guests just as she would care for a family member. Martha's Palestinian culture would demand that she, as a woman, attend to all the hospitality needs of her guest before she sits down and talks with anyone. And that's exactly what she's doing. And that's why she's frustrated with Mary. Because Mary has ignored her prescribed cultural role. Um, Mary is not preparing food, and she's not attending to the material needs of her guests. In fact, you could even make a case that Mary is doing something wrong. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus as a student sits at the feet of a teacher or a rabbi. And in a first-century Palestinian household, this role of student sitting at the feet would have been reserved for men only. So Jesus allows Mary to sit in that place where male disciples would sit. And he allows Mary to hear the word of God that Jesus speaks. I don't want to paint this story as black and white for you, though. 
Um, this is our temptation when we look at the story. We want to look for the good behavior and the bad behavior and imitate the good behavior. But I don't think it's that simple. I would even go so far as to say that neither woman is doing anything inherently wrong. We, don't, we also don't need to reject Martha's actions to embrace Mary and what she's doing here. As Jesus said, it's just that Mary has chosen something better. And so today we're going to look at the story and the invitation that Jesus has for these sisters and the invitation that he has for us as well. So like I said, in this story, Martha isn't doing anything really wrong. Her actions of getting ready and showing hospitality, those aren't bad things. Throughout Luke's gospel, this true hospitality of welcoming the stranger and opening homes and feeding people and serving people, Luke holds this up as a virtue. Jesus speaks of it as a virtue. In the same chapter, chapter 10, it starts out where Jesus sends off 72 disciples. And in Luke 10:1, we read, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. As Jesus sends these 72 out, he expects that they're going to receive the same type of hospitality that Martha offers in this passage. Jesus expects that other people are going to open their homes for his disciples, that they're going to provide food and drink and a place to stay. He tells his disciples, don't take anything with you, because Jesus is expectant that the hospitality that they receive will provide for each and every one of their needs. And then if we continue on in Luke 10, the passage that's right before this story of Mary and Martha, is when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in the Good Samaritan, we have the example of someone who served another man who was beaten and lying by the side of the road. He serves him, he attends to his wounds, he brings him somewhere, he pays for him to stay there. It's an example of service. And later in Luke 22, Jesus holds up the servant leader as an example. Jesus describes discipleship as serving other people. In Luke 22, 24 through 27, we read that a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus uses the same language of one who serves to describe what Martha's doing in our passage today. So why would Jesus hold up this virtue of hospitality and serving in some places and then condemn Martha in this passage. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think that Jesus is trying to get us to look at this situation just a little differently. You see, Martha's problem is not that she's serving. Her problem is that she's worried and distracted. In Luke 10:40, we read, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. The word for distracted that you see in verse 40, it's a Greek word that makes you think of being pulled and dragged in all different directions. And this unsettledness doesn't allow us to be still. 
I know what this feels like. And some of you may know what this feels like as well. Where there are so many thoughts swirling in your head that I can't sit still and just be present. The most important part of hospitality in this first century culture is to attend to and be present with the guest in graciousness and in welcome. But Martha, she has no room for this. She's distracted. Martha isn't able to be truly present with Jesus. Her work and her care for the people aren't flowing out of her hospitality and sitting with her guest and paying attention to her guest. They're kind of an aside. And Jesus sees this, and he calls Martha out. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I think the words that Jesus speaks to Martha aren't words of condemnation or rebuke, but words of compassion. I don't think he's scolding her when he says her name twice. I think he's extending an invitation to her. He says her name twice. It could be to calm her and to value her and to show her that he sees her. Now, some manuscripts say, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. But only one thing is needed. One thing. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Our weeks have been focused around Psalm 27, verse 4. I'm wondering if you will read that with me right now. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I don't think Jesus is telling Martha that she shouldn't serve or that she shouldn't be hospitable. I do think he wants her to put something else first in her life. Martha's starting place should be like that of Mary. Her posture and her position need to be like a student learning from her teacher, from her rabbi. She's being invited to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And then as she sat at the feet of her teacher learning from him, everything else that she does, all the ways that she serves and offers hospitality, all of those are going to flow out of the time that she spent with Christ, gazing on the beauty of the Lord. I think there's a message for us here as well. I believe that we need to be a people who need to spend time gazing on Christ first. And everything else will then flow out of the abundance of our hearts. Everything else, all of our activity, and all these things that we think that we do for Christ, they should flow out of our time with Christ. God wants to be with us. God wants to spend time with us, and God wants us to sit with him and to learn from him and to gaze on his beauty. Everything that follows in our lives can then flow out of this time with God. There's a song that was released in this past year, and it's continued to run through my head as I've spent time in this story. It's a song by a group called Consumed by Fire, and it's called First Things First. 
And in the song, they say, I don't want to love what the world loves. I don't want to chase what the world does. I only want you. They're speaking to the Lord here. I only want you. First things first, I seek your will, not my own. Surrender all my wants to you. Keep the first thing first to live your truth. Walk your ways, set my eyes. Lord, I fix my face on you. All my desires reversed to keep the first thing first. I like that line of, Lord, I fix my face on you. And I do think that's where we have to start. Lord, I fix my face on you. But as I wrestle with this song, I think I would even push beyond what the song is saying. It's not just that we want to put Jesus over the things that we might think are things of this world. It's that we want our time with Jesus and our dwelling with Jesus and our gazing on the beauty of Jesus to be the first priority in our lives. Then our service to him and all that we do comes second to that. To live his truth, to walk his ways, to surrender all our wants to him, that all comes after we spend time fixing our eyes on Jesus. After we spend time sitting at his feet, after we stop trying to do things for Jesus and we let him be the host who invites us to sit and gaze on him. So I've linked this song in the Bible app. I invite you to listen to it. Let me know what you think if you wrestle with it in the same way. You will be singing first things first for quite a while, just so you know. First things first. Sit with Jesus first. But just like the story of Mary and Martha, we want a prescribed formula. We want to look at it and say, what do we do? Can you tell me exactly? But gazing on Jesus, sitting at his feet, is not prescriptive. There's no formula for how long, how often, what methods, exactly how we can do this. I can share suggestions of how you might do this, and I'm going to do that today. Um, But it's up to you to determine a rhythm in your life that creates the space and the time and the place for you to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, for you to sit at Jesus' feet. We see echoes of the Mary and Martha story in the story of the early church, whom Luke writes about in the book of Acts. Now with Mary and Martha, we see a wrestling of what's more important, to attend to the needs of a guest or to sit in the presence of a guest. Now their guest is the Lord. So we're looking at the question, what's more important, to attend to the ministry of the Lord or to sit in the presence of the Lord? And in Acts, I think the early church has discerned that it's more important to sit in the presence of the Lord. But there are needs in the community that need to be attended to. In Acts 6, 1 through 4, we read, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now in our 21st century context, we might hear the phrase waiting on tables as less important, but I don't think that's what's happening here. The 12 choose men who are full of the spirit and wisdom. 
The 12 choose men who have obviously spent time sitting in the teachings of Jesus. And it's out of this time sitting with Jesus that their important service to the widows is going to flow. And the 12 themselves are going to continue to sit in prayer with God and to sit in Jesus' teachings. And they're going to have their teaching flow out of this practice. It's not that one of the ministries was more important than the other. It's that they all begin by first being present with God. And then the ministry of service and the ministry of preaching the word are going to flow out of that time that they spend in God's presence. But how do you know when you're there? How do you know when you've sat with Jesus long enough? How do you know when you're at a place to get up and engage with the world around you? Like the tree and all the metaphors we've been using throughout this series, I think you have to look for the fruit in your own life. As you interact with others, are you more patient, more loving, more peaceful? Is there something in your life that's beyond your understanding of how you're handling it and walking through it? When you serve or teach or spend time with other people, are you finding that you're resentful and fearful and worried? Or are you finding that in these places the Spirit of God is present and moving and you're able to let go of any anger and worry and fear and shame? As you sit with Christ and then engage with the world around you, I think you'll know when you're in balance and when you're not. I think you'll see fruits in your own life. And this relationship with God is dynamic. It's always changing. What works in one season may look completely different than what works in another. What works for me as a mom of elementary kids doesn't work for young moms in our mops group. I know because I was there. And what, in the same way, what is working for you in your phase of life right now might not work for me. The important thing is that we all find a way to gaze on Jesus. We find a way to sit at his feet and look up at him and learn from him as our teacher. God is always going to be acting in this relationship, inviting us into deeper and deeper fellowship with him. We're now in the season of Lent. It began last Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. And in this season, we take time to remember that Jesus did walk on earth, that he experienced what we experienced, that he suffered, and that he died. This is a season when we're preparing to celebrate the mystery of Easter. And Lent is a great time to start re-engaging with practices that maybe you started but you didn't continue, and that's okay. Like Stacy reminded us last week, um, with this whole series, we are reading through the Gospels. So maybe you started it and you didn't continue, or maybe you haven't started yet. That's okay. There are a number of ways that you can read through the Gospels during Lent. You can read at your own pace, and all of those are linked in the Bible app. There's so many different ways to read through the Gospels. Lent may also be a time when you begin a new practice. If you haven't already, you can sign up for our Lenten texts. And what we do is every Monday to Friday, you'll get a text that will, it will give you like a meditation or a scripture, or it's just kind of a signal to pause and an invitation into how God is present in that day. So if you haven't already, I encourage you, go ahead and sign up for those. Now there are other practices as well that will help us sit at the feet of Jesus and gaze on the Lord's beauty. So I'm going to invite you into a couple of those practices in just a short while. There are things you can do sitting at your seats. No one around you will know what you're thinking or feeling. 
I'm going to give you some time to participate in those practices just so you can see how, how simple it can be to connect and to sit at the feet of Jesus. You can do it any time in any place. And the first um, tool I'm going to share with you is it's a breath prayer. It's not new. It's something that we actually taught our kids to do um, through our children's messages a couple of years ago. And it's a great tool for people who feel like maybe they're too busy to even try anything because you can do this anywhere at any time. I know, I was at the dentist last week and I was like, I'm going to do a breath prayer. <laughs> um, you have a short phrase. And what you do is as you breathe in, you pray the first part in your head or you whisper it quietly to yourself. And then as you breathe out, you say the second part in your mind or you whisper it quietly. There are a lot of women's ministry events where you've been invited to participate in these breath prayers. You see, when we stop and we take a deeper breath, it signals to our bodies that we're slowing down in this moment. And then as you think through a prayer while taking these deep breaths in and out, it helps us to focus our gaze on Christ. And there are a number of breath prayers that you can use. Like I said, I'm going to share one with you today. But in the Bible app, I've put a link to the breath prayers page on the soul training section of our website. So the second practice we're going to do this morning is to gaze on a picture. It's called Visio Divina, or sacred seeing. So in sacred seeing, this is a prayer practice that has been around for centuries. Um, it involves allowing our hearts and our minds and our imaginations to prayerfully enter into an image to see what God may stir in us or wish to say to us. Now, last week, Pastor Stacy showed a video. It was like a visio divina, like a sacred seeing, where you invited to look. And like you said last week, we're not holding up the image as the thing to worship, but we're using this image to see how God might speak to us through our imagination. So we're going to pair this breath prayer and the sacred seeing together in just a little while. And the breath prayer that I'm using and the language around the sacred seeing, it all comes from our denomination's week of prayer guide from 2021, actually. It was called Breathe Together. And I've linked that resource in the Bible app as well, because in there you'll find there are seven images and seven breath prayers. So you can start there this week if you wanted to. So I'm going to invite you into this practice. And as we begin, just find a place to sit comfortably and take a deep breath in and out. Maybe the first deep breath you've taken today, but take a deep breath in and out. And pray with me. God, we open our hearts and our minds to you. We sit at your feet and we ask you to reveal your presence to us in these moments and throughout the day. So I'll invite you to take a look at our picture. And as you look, what are you noticing? What stirs within you as you look at this picture? Look again and notice what part of that picture draws you in. What part of that picture repels you or turns you away? What emotions are you feeling as you sit and breathe and look this morning? 
Is there an invitation or something that you wish to say to God? So continue looking, and you're going to see the words of a breath prayer on the screen. Later in their life, Jesus had another encounter with Martha and Mary after their brother Lazarus had died. Before Jesus raised Lazarus back to life, he told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. In these words, Jesus is telling Martha and he's telling us that all power and life are in his hands. Even death does not have the final word. Where do you need Jesus to bring you the hope of resurrection? Take a deep breath in and say in your mind, Jesus, resurrection and life. And then breathe out and say, resurrect hope today. Breathe in and think, Jesus, resurrection and life. And breathe out and think, resurrect hope today. So I'm going to give you a moment. I want you to breathe deeply and say this breath prayer in your mind. You can continue looking on the image or you can close your eyes. Give you a little time of silence to do this and then I'll close our time in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for our time together with you this morning. For Lord God, we know that you are here, present among us, and we know that as we desire to sit at your feet, you are right there, sitting with us, drawing us into deeper fellowship with you. Lord, we ask that you would help us find ways to gaze on your beauty this week. Lord, we ask that you would show us the fruit in our lives as we spend time with you and as everything flows out of that time with you. God, keep us in balance. May everything that we do and say flow so naturally and so beautifully out of the ways that you pour into us as we sit at your feet. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.